World Rugby has announced its panel of referees for the 2023 World Cup in France later this year. Our special guest today has been included and is odds-on favourite to referee the final. That's right, joining me, Chris, Nick and Brendan is none other than the highest test cap referee ever, Wayne Barnes. All right, so we've got Champions Cup final to look forward to, Challenge Cup final to look forward to. And we've got the man who was in charge of Sale versus Leicester at the weekend and will be in charge of that Glasgow-Toulon game. World's most capped test referee, Wayne Barnes. Wayne, how was the AJ Bell? Um, lively. Very lively. Um, it was um, It was nice to see it full. Um, it was, I don't know if you were up there, but you had a... Um, kind of just behind the, the posts on the left-hand side as you run out were all the Leicester fans. And then you had pockets of Leicester fans around the ground. And so, yeah, it had a, it had a decent old atmosphere. And, and as always, um, when you go up to sale, some, uh, some, some advice from the sidelines as well. You know, people encourage I tell you what it felt like um, is I, I did a semi-final down at Exeter when they beat Saracens in the last... Remember, they kicked to the corner. I think it was um, Henry Slade kicked to the corner. And they had that driving mourner last play of the game. And the lead up to that game, it, you ran around the, the the pitch and there was those pockets and it was really noisy, really noisy, some, some um, you know, some cracking banter before the match. It felt like that game. And I guess it had that similar size feel as well, you know, but I think it was 11 or 12,000 at the AJ Bell. So it was good. It, um, and it felt like a, a proper semi-final as well, you know, going at it, um, you know, ebb and flow, you know, a bit of niggle in it as well. Uh, what you want to see is, I think it was a great advertisement for the, the Premiership. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed it. And, it um, um, and I don't know, you kind of, we stayed out of the way, stayed under the radar and, uh, and no one's, well, from the bits, I'm sure there's always someone who's mentioning uh, mentioning us on social media somewhere, but uh, no mention of the match officials um, after the match. So, you know, we move on and we five-day turnaround for the game on Friday. Is that the measure of success now, Wayne? No mentions on social media? Is that...? Um, um, my, I've always said to you is that um, if no one's talking about us afterwards... Um, and I, I, I used to say, you know, whether that's the coaches, the players, or the or the the media, um, then you've probably done a decent job. The one thing I've realised over the last twenty years of doing this job in the Premiership, um, particularly with the um, with social media becoming more apparent, is that you're never going to please everyone. Um, so I've got my close, kind of trusted people, not just all referees. Obviously, you know, I work with Chris White quite a lot. Um, just done my review with Chris now, you know, Whitey will hold me to account from a refereeing point of view, but I've got ex-international coaches um, around me. And if, you know, the marker, if they think, yeah, that's a decent performance, that's what really matters to me. Um, because you can't please everyone, you know, you as journalists, you're never going to please everyone. You'll get people telling you how, how you could do your job. Lots of people think um, they can tell everyone how they can do their job now, but, Get the people you trust around you, trust in their opinion. Um, when they're telling you you need to, you know, improve your grammar, <laughs> then that's, that's who you listen to. Um, um, so, um, yeah. Social Pile on media. time. <laughs> yeah. Social media isn't so, so, someone I'm going to be able to please all the time. So, um, 
But like, if you can come out of a game and you're, you're not the talking point, um, then you've probably done all right. Are there situations you remember where you have been the talking point in a positive way? I know you're probably, you know, you've spoken extensively about the negatives of social media as a referee. Can you put a positive spin on it ever and say after the game, people have, you know, warmed your heart with reflections or comments on performances? Um, uh, again, if, if you get, if you don't search social media and you don't search media when you've uh, had an off game, you shouldn't be searching it when you've had a had a good game. So I won't be searching <laughs> the media. <laughs> well, you know, I'm never going to be the head. I say that, Steve, um, Steve James, one of your one of your colleagues, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you know a secret now. He's actually plays for my local rugby club down at Lydney. Um, he once gave me the man of a match performance when uh, Northampton <laughs> played Gloucester, and everyone was like, "This is outstanding!" You know, referee getting the man of match, but it was just because I was meeting up with him on that weekend for a for a beer down at Lydney Rugby Club. Um, so he, I did read that report once um, when he was uh, writing for the Telegraph. Um, am I allowed to talk about other newspapers? Not the Telegraph, well, no. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you could talk about anybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, but no, look, I'm, as again, you know, if you come off a match and the people who you trust think you've done a, a decent job, that's what matters. Whether it's a, you know, whether that's a headline. And it's always nice to have a chat with the coaches and the players afterwards. And you'll find out pretty quickly um, whether or not they think you've done all right or not. It's quite funny coming off on Saturday. You know, I uh, sim been Dan Cole and I get on pretty well with Dan because I, you know, I work with him in with, in with the England camp and the only criticism he had of me is like, at least if you're going to sim bin me, sim bin me less than 40 metres away so I can see you blinking card. <laughs> and I thought, well, there we are. I think he's accepted that the card was all right. He just uh, wanted me to stick it up his nose, I think. Well, that, that was a classic incident, wasn't it? The Dan Cole incident, because like every prop in history, I mean, watch it all on the big screen. So he knew precisely what was being looked at. When you got the card out, you, you could see him say, what, me? As though anyone else looks like Dan Cole on the face of the earth. So it's not mistaken identity, that's for sure. And he's just watched it the same as you. Props, eh? Props. Uh, those screens aren't very big in those stadiums, too. <laughs> Maybe you just couldn't see it. <laughs> uh, Wayne, a, a perennial question, uh, but I'd be, be interested on your take. A frustration as a journalist is that we're not allowed to referee, uh, to interview or talk to referees after the match for quotes about big decisions, key decisions. Now, I suspect you would have no problem with that. Very eloquent, happy to talk to people. Um, and and also, it's not it's not a one way thing. We need, you know, if there's a possible, you know, very good explanation for every decision you made, it would help us to know exactly what your thought process was there. Would you welcome I mean, a limited interviewing of referees after a match, or is that a no-no area for you? So, so I think there's two points to that, Brendan. Is that first one is that I hope when I give a decision on the pitch, and I've got the comms, and you can stick with you stick your headphones on if you want, that you understand why I've made a decision. So let's take Dan Cole's one on the weekend. Um, you know, I I hope I explained it that you know you're standing up right, Dan. So there is foul play because you could have bent lower and tackled lower. You haven't hit him really hard. 
So that's why I'm starting the yellow card and not red card. So you've then got that understanding from a you know an immediate point of view why I've made that decision. There'll be decisions through this season where you would have been at, and you might disagree with that. You know whether or not. Oh, well, I think he has him really hard in the head, um, or her in the head, um, or I think there was mitigation because the player has dropped at the last minute. And um, you, as long as you understand my decision making, you can disagree with that. But I think you know if you know if referees are on the money, you should get why they made a decision just from their live comms. Now, I, I, I wonder whether or not um, the, the need for um, uh, the post-match interview is always just to pick referees up when there's a perception that they might have got it right or wrong. So if it's a general, you know, um, run-of-the-mill game, I don't think there'll be anyone would be clamouring to have a chat with, with a ref, but I guarantee you if there's a controversial moment, there'll be a cue all the way around the AJ bow to ask that, that harmless question. So um, I think it's a nice balance at the moment where if you really want to know about the refereeing decision, pay your whatever it is, your 10 quid for your, your, your ref link at Twickenham and have a listen. Um, but I think there would be, not, not the calibre of the individuals on this call, obviously, but um, I reckon there'll be some people who would just be uh, lining up to talk about the controversial moments. And I don't think rugby should be about that. I think rugby should be talking about the players, should be talking about the skills, should be talking about the atmosphere, not about the one-off decision that a referee may or may not have got right or wrong. I'd make two quick points on that. One is uh, just to correct everyone, it was our request not to speak to referees any longer because if you ended up speaking to Tony Spreadbury, you missed nine deadlines and were threatened with the sack because you couldn't shut him up. And But secondly... There have been, and we're, we're going back to, to 2015 in the phrase you bear business and what have you. There have been quite a number of cases now, whether it's through the disciplinary process or through a world rugby statement, let's say, identifying the fact and emphasizing the fact that the referee is considered to have got it wrong. Um, does that sit easily with with you guys? I mean, since the introduction of technology, obviously cricket umpires have had to get used to that. I mean, that's just part of the day job now is to find out pretty much instantly that they were wrong and they have to self-correct with a daft hand signal. Um, and I think they've probably grown to live with it. But it, does it sit comfortably with refs? Because in rugby of all games, the ref was always right. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think we are always right. And if you take some of the decisions that we make on a weekend where we're like, I'm pretty certain he scored here. Oh, no, he hasn't. I don't mind correcting a decision when it's clearly wrong. Um, I think that's that's what the advancement of technology is. And like I've said this enough, I'm such a believer in technology uh, because there's a lot of grey in rugby, you know, and there's a lot of things that happen really blinking quickly. Four passes is the... Um, is the most obvious one on that too. So, um, and they're actually jumping around a little bit. They're actually going to trial in the under twenty World Cup um, down in South Africa. There's a there's a company who called Sportable, um, and what they do is they put a chip in a ball, um, and it's some NASA scientists who've invented this. And then you would have seen a little bit in the Six Nations um, with a company called Sage kept popping up in yeah. the corner saying distance the kicks um, being kicked hang time, um, how far from the goal line the ball's being kicked out. Um, and 
that's they get that technology from Sportable. And what um, World Rugby have invested in and trialing during the under 20 World Cup is using Sportable for more decisions. And so, for example, uh, forward pass technology is available now. So they can, and I'm not a physicist, um, I've got a job to say it, let alone um, be one. Um, they can tell about relative velocity, which I think it means is it moving quicker once it comes out the hands? Um, so they can tell, um, take. Take the the pass on the weekend um, where where Tom comes Tom Foley by TMO comes in and says Barnes I'm about to show you this is a forward pass like I think it's pretty clear that that, that was a forward pass but I I think what people like about cricket and what I think would be good with rugby is when technology tells you um, it's a forward pass we all trust it when technology tells you the ball's on the line at um, at Roland Garros or at Wimbledon, we all accept it. When the ball tells you that it's pitching in line and it's going to hit middle, we all accept it because there's no kind of there's no human error. So they're trialing that in the um, in the world in the under twenties World Cup. So um, as I said, I'm jumping around here <laughs> a little bit. So um, I don't mind correcting a decision when it's clearly wrong because it's it's best for the game when when we get the decisions right. I go back to 07, my first World Cup, which is a long time ago now. Um, there was a four pass, as we all know, in the lead up to the um, to the France try in the quarterfinal. We should be able to rectify that now within a few seconds to say um, technology says there's a four pass. So um, I, I do believe that referees are are happy um, to to correct their mistakes. Whether or not there's there's a press statement after you know after a match from the governing body, whether that be EPCR this weekend, Premiership this week uh, this weekend, or um, or World Rugby in the Six Nations, has to be that governing body's own decision. Cricket, for example, make no comment on match officials. That's their choice. Um, I think there is a dis- a discussion as a game whether or not there's a need for it. Whether we think it's um, you know, that is good for the game to, you know, come out and say ref got it right, ref got it wrong. My point has always been, where do you stop? You know, when does a, you know, a match-defying decision um, in the last play of the game become a normal, you know, run-of-the-mill decision on the 45th minute? So that's that grey area, which I think is really tough. And what's really important for a journalist in England um, might not be as important for a journalist in Georgia, um, and that, but there's maybe a big incident in you know the rugby, uh, the Six Nations, you know, second tier. There might be a big incident there. So should we not make a comment about that? Not just about England versus Scotland, or um, so I, I think that's a difficulty where you get with where where does that stop? Um, you know, I, I don't have the right answer to that, but I think you put enough good people in a room. Um, we're grown up sport. I think we we should be able to have those grown-up conversations but as long again as long as it's done for the for the right reason it is you know to explain why you know the ref's got it right or tmo's got it right or wrong um that's why you know maybe i'm thinking about post-career yeah i think you know having a, a referee and an analysis uh, within a newspaper or you know on the tv might be the way forward chris <laughs> <laughs> it, it tends to be done doesn't it in the face of really significant controversy so yeah. in 2015, you had the, the, the Scotland Wallabies 
business yeah. and it was a question of law. It, it wasn't a marginal forward pass issue yeah. or, or in yeah. your, your case in 2007, not so marginal forward pass issue. Um, yeah. But, you, but you know, you're backing there, Chris. Well, yeah, I, I supported you all the way on that, Wayne. You know, we all wanted to see France win. I'm not saying that that you took the field with. Um, uh, that Those are deep waters. Um, but um, if you get... So the most recent big controversy, obviously, was the Jack of the Piper thing um, in Dublin, where I think he, he came out afterwards and said, I had no choice. That was the that was the law as he understood it. And then, of course, uh, the controversy continues and you get World Rugby or, or whoever it was, the Six Nations reacting uh, in a way that I personally find a little bit unfortunate. I felt pretty sorry for him because we've. We've had a few incidents now of referees refereeing to what they consider to be the letter of the laws it stands, and then they're not fully supported in the um, in the controversial aftermath. Yeah, and then you've got issues like um, that of uh, coaches putting uh, piling pressure on referees, of, of which the most sort of. Uh, um, Obvious incident recently was Erasmus, um, you know, after the Lions tour. And I'd be very interested in your thoughts on that, Wayne, and um, whether World Rugby eventually managed to get it right, more or less, in that in that instance. Um, so, yeah, I, I, and I, just, I think well, there's two things. I've spoken about, um, I think, the responsibility to the game um, that everyone has, and particularly people in, um, I guess, senior positions or positions of responsibility. I, I think that we all have a role um, to play in a, a, you know, upholding the values of the game. It's what we, we sell our game on quite a lot, isn't it? We, we know we, we do say that we're different to other sports because of the values. And we, we say what we love about it is the interaction between all the different stakeholders. And I don't just mean the players and the coaches and the refs. I actually mean the, you know, the hacks as well. You know, that's what makes it special i'm even coming to your your lunch again uh, next week so you know that's how special our our relationship with the hacks hacks are um, um but if if we do that I, I think we've got you know if we if we pride ourselves on those values i think we do have to say that when you're in those positions of responsibility you have to behave responsibly and openly criticizing um, match officials if you're in that position of responsibility encourages others to do it and I saw that firsthand um, last year. And I can accept, as I've said a lot, I can accept criticism myself. But it's very quickly with the world that we live in, social media at the moment, where criticism of me as an official becomes criticism as me as a person, becomes criticism of my family. And that's a step too far. Um, and so I think what, what we see a lot um, from people in positions of um, you know of responsibility and I don't just mean coaches or players I mean um, you know journalists social media writers you know influencers is that when you openly criticize an individual not not saying I think that decision's wrong that's your job you know that's 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 what your your, your you know your one of your roles is is to paint the picture of a game but when you start attacking an individual um you know and is and they're kind of them as a person it, it's really easy that that becomes a pylon you know and everyone else jumps on and likes that 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 tweet you know or forwards that 
kind of um, social media kind of blog. Um, and like this, this is a hard enough job to do as it is without everyone else telling you about, you know, what a bad person you are and what they want to do to you. And, um, you know, we want to attract people. We want to attract people to, to this game because, you know, my team down in, you know, Bream, you know, their seconds and their thirds down in the Forest of Dean struggle to get a referee and we need people to start refereeing. And so let's, let's talk about what's great about our, you know, about officiating and it's, you know, the camaraderie, it's about keeping your boots on, it's about still running around when your body's falling apart a little bit and, you know, sharing a pint afterwards um, with the captains and the coaches. But, you know, if people see some of the, the, the abuse that's happened to some of my colleagues over the last couple of weeks, um, people will be saying, really? Is that, is that, is that what I want to give up my time for? So we've all got a role to play in upholding values. Um, and I get people want to make a living for being quite, um, I, I don't know, uh, controversial, um, but doesn't help our game. I agree completely with that. Absolutely. One of the other things I wanted to ask you, Wayne, is how much um, has being a barrister helped you as a rugby referee and vice versa? How much is transferable from one to the other? It's probably helped me from a financial point of view, if I'm honest, Nick. <laughs> but um, but um, there's a lot of crossover, I, I think. Um, there's, there's two I always um, I try and give a, a kind of insight into. And uh, I started off as a criminal barrister going around the, the magistrates' courts of London. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been to a magistrate court just as an observer, obviously. I'm not looking at any of you on this call thinking you might have spent some time um, down there. But um, like, if you think about it as a, as a young junior barrister, you go along to the magistrate's courts of Camberwell or Highbury Corner in London. And the first time you meet your client is down in the cells, um, kind of... Um, you know, you get presented with what they've been charged with. You go down there, you meet them. You've got to try and understand what, where they're coming from, uh, get all the information that you need, um, and you've got to kind of they, you've got to kind of build a bit of trust in a real short period of time. And they've got to know that you're across the you know your job, your profession really quickly. Um, and then you know you can't be too long winded about it. You've got to be able to you know, explain the laws of self-defense, you know, in a, in a few minutes. Um, and then, you know, off you go to represent them. And that's it. That's that's the first time you met them. You think about the first time you go and meet an international rugby captain 20 years ago. The first time I would have met someone like McCall or Gregan would have been in the changing room before the match, an hour and a half before kickoff. And again... Mm -hmm. You've got to be able to build trust, answer some questions, be succinct, and then you've got to go up and perform and hopefully they trust you for those, those 80 minutes. So there's a lot about those relationship buildings. It's definitely the one thing that I think has helped my career throughout is that ability to, to, to you know, to, to build relationships in short period of time. I'm not saying that everyone's got to like you, but you've got to be, have a, be able to 
have a working relationship really quickly. Um, and they build over time. And obviously, you get a few re- repeat clients as a barrister. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, you might you might get, you know, get some teams you work with more and more. And the more you work with people, the more they tend to kind of be able to, um, you know, trust you. So there's that element of it, building trust, being succinct with advice, um, being able then to, to take what you've been told and, and follow it through. And then there's that element of um, trying to explain quite complex things. Um, you know, I, I would always describe myself as quite, a, you know, a jury advocate um, where I'm able to take my client's case and explain it to the jury in quite a succinct manner. Um, and that's what I try and do as a ref as well. You, you know, some really complex laws out there. Um, that's part of it. That's what I like about my job is that there are some complex laws. Um, it is the most complex game. Ed Morrison has always said that, you know, he's one of the people who you know I've always admired and uh, who's helped me progress is the game is one of the most complex laws there is. Um, and as as a referee, you've got to be able to kind of understand those and kind of interpret those. And I've got to do that when I've got a camera up my nose and mm-hmm. um, and you've got eighty thousand people screaming and shouting at me, and I've got to be able to because I don't have ten minutes to review it and go back and replay it and just get my wording right. I've got to do that within 20, 30 seconds. And I've got to get it right or back to that point that we've just discussed. Everyone wants to tell me that I've got my job wrong again. So there is that element of, you know, being able to put into words um, some complex kind of arguments and under quite an intense, you know, scrutiny, whether that's from a jury or whether that's from 80,000 at Twickenham. You're actually uniquely in the role of being judge and jury when you're on the post, aren't you? (laughs) And executioner. And execution. <laughs> well, it's, as you can imagine, it's it's two pretty popular jobs, isn't it? Being a ref and a lawyer, you know. You know, in my spare time, I suppose I should be a parking warden or something like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And being a state agent, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> or a politician, a politician, Wayne. Just before we leave that bit, you're talking about the trust. Something that you and a few others, Luke Pierce is another, have done in the last ten years or so is to learn a bit of French. So you can have that slightly elevated contact with the very large number of French players um, that we see on the scene. Now, just tell us, maybe by way of encouragement for a young ref coming up, how long did that take you to learn enough French to have a conversation, or at least to be able to communicate with a French captain or a French hooker, a French scrum half? And how important is it that you try and build that into your your skill set as a referee going forward well f- first of all like uh, there there's an assumption that i am able to have that conversation with a french hooker <laughs> french scrum half. i've been told by many a french hooker and scrum half, please talk to me in english um, so uh, <laughs> and uh w- once when i thought i was telling the scrum half to put the ball into the scrum which is a, a melee um, but i pronounce it with my west country um twang melee which I'm told is a washing machine brand. Um, I did have a look from the scrum after while I was standing to get the ball into the washing machine. Um, 
So there, there is that assumption that I um, that I do um, speak French. But I, no, I, I think we've all did it with the trickle or books, didn't we, back in our, our GCSE day? No, no, I'm looking at the people online. You lot didn't do GCSEs, did you? <laughs> <laughs> so O-levels, O-levels. O-levels, definitely, um, yeah. O-levels, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Imagine. my GCSEs, I did. I did a bit of French. I've got my GCSE. I think I got an A. I must have been all right with it then. Or, um, you know, I, I pulled the ball over someone's eyes. And I always enjoyed speaking a bit of French. Um, and then you spend a lot of time going around the, the like my first game in France, I think was in the Pro de Deux. I did an under 20, no, under 19 World Cup in 03. Um in well, we were hosted in Mar- um, we stayed in Mar- Marcuse, you know, where the French team are based. Um, they called it Ma- um, Marcatraz, and that probably yeah. was a good description description for it. So I've always spent a lot of time in France um, with games, and I just think it's that idea of I want to kind of um, I want to understand what they're saying. I want to be able to go to a restaurant or to you know be able to order a beer in a bar and be able to you know get by and I I still I still get my lesson um each um each week every Friday afternoon actually I, I actually had a message from um Stephen so Stephen um so Stephen Burns my my uh, my French teacher he um he's um, a lawyer in France he lives in France he's uh, married a French woman and, uh, lives in Paris and I met him couple of years ago and I just wanted to continue to improve it so I meet I speak with him every um every Friday um we have an hour on the on the on the call he sends me some clips um, he's a referee himself as well um in the like kind of the second and third division so you know we kind of share some philosophies about the game but it but it helps because you can you know not all of the French teams speak um fluent English um so you can get across you convey some messages and whether it's to a prop to say I need you a bit higher or whether it's to um you know to to the captain to say that I think there is I think that is foul play because the player is too upright. Um I think it helps. I think it helps build that trust. Um so I'll continue to do that. Look and the World Cup's in France. It's going to be a lot more enjoyable experience knowing what I'm ordering from a menu rather than having a bit of a surprise turn up on your plate, which happened quite a few times in Japan in 2019, when the, <laughs> as soon as they didn't have those you know, little pictures or those little bowls that were outside some of the Japanese restaurants where you could just point at some of the things that's turned up on my plate, I'm like, oh, well, I guess I must have ordered it. So I'm going to have a better chance. Well, I, have to, I, have, I have to tell you at this point, Wayne, uh, you're from, you, you know, you, you were brought up in a rugby scene of the Forrester Dean when I was playing. We had something in common with French players because if we had a Forrester Dean referee, we had to ask him if he could speak in English, please. <laughs> uh, it's not. It's so true as well. I still go back, and all oh, my family is still there. As I think you know, um, I I come back whirring and burring a lot, lot worse after a couple of days there, and I I have to slow down my parents and my grandparents um, just just to just to make sure I catch what they're actually saying. You ever take take you know take your friends back down there from university? They would just smile and nod. It's like me on a rugby pitch at times when the French talk back to me. You just smile and nod and hope you're not laughing about you know something that's really serious. <laughs> uh, 
I'm, uh, I'm yeah, glad you're doing well with French restaurants anyway. Uh, there, there was a, 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 um, um, a well-known journalist um, of who these guys will know, Tim Glover. You may have come across Tim, Danny he is. He, I once accompanied to, to quite a posh restaurant in Paris called the Brasserie Lip, very famous, a bit of an Ernest Hemingway type locale. And yeah. he was so brilliant in French, he ordered a three-course meal, all of which was soup. <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm just aware of time i wanted to talk about the france 2023 selection we kind of alluded it uh, to it already it was six days ago um obviously wayne congratulations that's your fifth world cup now which is the, sort of the latest milestone in yeah what's been a a pretty incredible career does that sound weird to say You've refereed at five Rugby World Cups or will have refereed at five Rugby World Cups? Um, yeah, because you look... Because 07 doesn't seem that long ago either. Um, and as I said, I just finished off a kind of a review of my game with Chris White. Chris was there as a, you know, as um, an English referee at that point with Tony Spreadbury. Do you remember, uh, remember as well, Chris? And um, and I was there as very much the, the young, young guy there, 28 um, but I remember that tournament really vividly. Um, you know, I remember all the people who were there. I remember the, the fun nights out in Paris. I remember the, you know, the trips down to to Bordeaux and Marseille. Um, it, and it just, I just think it shows that, you know, time's kind of gone pretty quickly. Um, but each World Cup, I, I think it'll be the same for whether you're a player Coach Ref and Journo, you know, you, 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 there's a special group of people who go to each World Cup and you have special memories with those gr groups of people. So, 07, as, the, as a young guy, you know, there was, there was myself, Nigel Owens, and Craig Joubert's um, first World Cup, and we were all pretty close. We'd come through the sevens ranks together. Um, and we, we've got some wonderful memories of, um, of, of that tournament. And it's, um, it's quite nice that, you know, if, if if I went to another World Cup, that would make me forty eight. So that you can you can guess the likelihood of that. But it seems there's something you know kind of circular around starting in 07 and uh, 03 being my uh, twenty three being like the potential the end one. Um, and I think it'll be amazing over there. Like some of the games um, that I've had in France over the last you know twelve months or so. You know the the final down in Marseille last year, um, the France New Zealand game um, down in Marseille. You know, there there are some you know some really great atmosphere club games taking place. But you know, some of the Six Nations matches like the England um, uh, the the England France game, the last six, the end of twenty two thousand and two Six Nations, like the noise and the atmosphere and the build up to that match, it's. I, I think they'll host it wonderfully. They hosted it wonderfully in 2007, but it's such a rugby country, isn't it? And we, we're going to get to go to some uh, amazing venues across the, the, the country. And that's what's nice about the European Cup. You get to go to Toulouse, you get to go to Claremont, you, but now in the World Cup, you get to go to Nantes, you get to go to, um, I think there's some up in Lille, isn't there, in that way. So you'll see some different bits of France. Um, and the one bit that the French do really well is like making you feel welcome and, you know, and hosting you real well. So I'm really excited about it, really excited that there's, you know, I'm going with some friends and colleagues from the RFU as well. It's the first time 
um, in my career, in those World Cups that we've had four referees going. And we've also got um, Tom Foley as a TMO and Christoph Ridley as, as an AR. So six of us, six of your mates, six of the people who you work with every week, you train with every week, um, you travel around the globe with. So four of us are off to, to the Bledisloe Cup. I'm at the MCG in the lead up. And, you know, how how good does that sound? You know, refereeing a match at the MCG, uh, 100,000 people um, against, you know, Australia against the All Blacks. That's <laughs> not many people will say that. Um, but I'm doing that with three really good mates, you know, in Christoph, Carl and Tom. Um, and, you know, like players, like coaches, it's, you know, those memories when... You, you eventually put down your whistle and you, you you draw stunts that you'll be going, that was a pretty special trip. Um, and I think that's what 23 will be in, in Paris. And like Paris has, you know, got a lot of um, meaning for me, 07. But I also, when I got married, um, we had our, we got married in London, Polly and I in, uh, in Lincoln's Inn, where I'm a barrister. But then we've got a mate who owns a restaurant just outside of um, Paris. So we chucked everyone on the Eurostar and um, we went over and had what, what I think in French is called Le Boom, which means the party um, on a little island just outside of um, Paris. So I'd imagine there'll be a trip or two to the little island in Paris because no journalists can get there because you've got to get a boat there and we'll be blowing up the boat when we get one side of the river. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on that note, I'm going. I hope you all do yourself. Um, I've got to go, so I've got a doctor's appointment, but it's nice to see you, Wayne. You too, mate. Best well, of luck, Wayne. I'll see you soon. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Chris. Cheers, Chris. Can I get, ask you two very quick questions before you need to go? One is, could you give a World Cup winner for 2023, six months out, or however long it is, five months out? Can I give a World Cup winner for 2023? Yeah. Can you imagine a, a lawyer who specialises in bribery and corruption giving you a prediction for the Rugby World Cup? <laughs> um, I think I'll leave that to the experts on the call. Can you give a, a hemisphere? Good sidestep, that one, Wayne. Yeah, that was a good sidestep. <laughs> can can I get... give you a hemisphere? I can tell you that it will come from one of the hemispheres, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> No further questions in that department then. Um, and the other thing is, so we obviously won't have time for the random rugby 15. I just want to ask one of the questions is rugby law you would change. And I'd love to know what Wayne Barnes is one rugby law that he would change it. Oh, I don't want to change a rugby law. I just want to make sure we're really clear on what the philosophy is. Is it about getting every single decision possible correct? Um, or is it about trying to get the really important decisions and once we get that i think that will direct the way that the game is played referee and fed back so i think if we get that right we'll have a real um you know we'll, we'll have a real decent crack of um getting the game moving forward that's a good answer that's very different to the answer we had we had craig maxwell keys on and he i can't remember what he said now but he had a very clear law where he was just like this is bollocks and i want to get rid of it <laughs> very different <laughs> i think it was the forward pass wasn't it so wasn't it? everybody knows what a forward pass is just ref what we think i think it was along those lines yeah it? he was quite dismissive yeah. of it um cool yeah. right Wayne. i know you need to get going no pleasure well thanks for your time everyone i hope to see you some next week yeah, yeah have yeah, a good one well, friday yeah, well, cheers everyone Shall we do a little Champions Cup final prediction? Obviously, Chewie's <clears throat> gone. 
I'm trying to remember who predicted what last week. And well, it... we all went sail. Well, most of us went sail win, and actually, me and you, I think, went. No, me, me and one other went shot I, Northampton win. Yeah, I didn't predict Northampton. I know that. No, no I, I did. Pre- uh, I predicted. I predicted Northampton, and mm. it would. Did you predict Northampton as well, Brent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that yeah. Went well. we, got it, we got it significantly wrong. Yeah, we did, did, but we got Sale yeah. significantly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, although, I, well, we were saying that Sale would be the less close of the same. Uh, the less. So we said, we said, I don't know what we said. I think we said Sale left to be tight. But, um, yeah. Uh, it was, yeah. I thought it was quite an interesting weekend. I mean, uh, Northampton needed a quick start, and that's the exact opposite to what they got. I mean, that was always the caveat. If, if Saracen's got a start against them, Nothing was going to happen. But, well, they're um, the best. Saris are the best front runners in the league, right? You know, yeah, you know, yeah, they, you, they, yeah, they are. And um, if they if they show the sort of um, you, you know the thing about them is that their defense uh, stepped up a gear and they looked like them their old selves in defense in that game. They shut Northampton down, and they're just you know they're very clinical when it comes to putting away their chances, and that's the difference I think between them and and, and Sale. Um, you know, Sale are you know the the advances that they've made are terrific. I thought that they gave Leicester a dusting at the scrum, um, and uh, you know Steve Borthwick uh, on appointing uh, Tom Harrison as the new scrum coach said that Leicester's scrum is feared or or <laughs> throughout Europe or renowned throughout Europe. And I thought, yeah, maybe twenty years ago, but mm. um, you know this Leicester scrum is no is no great shakes. And uh, and Sale actually showed that. Simon McIntyre is a bit of a revelation. I, I remember him as a bit of a, not a journeyman at Wasp, but he wasn't even their first choice all the time. He's suddenly become a really major player, Simon McIntyre. He's, I think he's always been a very good prop. He's, he's switched heads. Um, so he's he's gone to uh, to Loosehead, and I think that uh, he's very, very effective there, but um, very good build for a prop. And mm. uh, and and you know clearly very you know very effective indeed and and when Ustazen came on, you know I mean he's I don't know how many caps he'd have for South Africa but I reckon he'd be pushing well into the forties probably, and uh, when he came on, they uh, they they sent uh, the Tigers back at a couple of scrums at a rate of knots, mm. so uh, be, it'd be very you know I mean it'd be a very interesting final but. Just Saracens. I mean, I, I'd, I'd I'd sort of underestimated them. I thought that they they they'd shown not not the same sort of intensity and not the same sort of uh, coherence. But in that game, they were very very clinical. They'll be very difficult to beat. It was good to see how good both George Ford and Owen Farrell were as well. I think. Oh yeah. All right. Let's look at the um, Champions Cup and Challenge Cup very very briefly. Uh, yeah. Leinster La Rochelle. Brendan, I'll come to you. Just sell it a little bit, first of all. It's obviously a repeat of last year. <laughs> In one way, it doesn't need selling. Uh, the, the, the stakes are so much higher, even than last year, because, you know, there's revenge from the semi-final uh, is required. Uh, it might not be the prettiest match. You know, La Rochelle, when they're at their awesome best, isn't always pretty rugby, but it is going to be a, a monstrous sort of game. Uh, I hope... I, I watched the best game I've watched all season uh, on Saturday evening. I watched the URC semi between Munster and Leinster. And it was gloves off mayhem for 80 minutes. Um, 
one try, I think. Uh, was it one or two tries in the match? It wasn't a try fest whatsoever. It was magnificent. And I'm hoping these two great sides go at it in that in that with that intensity. I'm a little bit concerned for Leinster, whose praises we've all been singing, not least me. The bubble was burst a little bit last week. They put out a, a weakened team uh, and they came up short. And they came up short at this time of the year last season as well. And I just wonder if there might be a few little demons mentally creeping in there. Uh, La Rochelle are not a team you want to play if you've got any sort of mental hang-ups. So I'm still going to go with Leinster, but it's going to be hellish close. Nick, who are you going with? I think I'm going to um, go with La Rochelle. Um, they outscored Leinster three tries to nil last year. All Leinster's points came from Johnny Sexton's boot or Ross Byrne one penalty. They had seven penalties in all. Um, and they did it without um, having Kerbalo, uh available. So I think that they're a side that are just capable of causing anybody um, serious trouble because of the sheer physicality that they bring to it. But also, I think that they're underestimated in terms of what they do, um, of what they do outside as well. So I'll go with them. Um, it's not in Marseille, um, but Dublin, which is home advantage plus for Leinster. So I think that that will have a, a significant bearing. And if Leinster do bring their A game, um, their finishing has been, I just think, you know, remarkable. They're, they're a team that don't let – they're like the – they're a little bit like the All Blacks were. Um, if you make a mistake, they punish you. So I, I think that it's a very, very uh, finely balanced game. But I think that um, La Rochelle have got the physical clout uh, to be able to put uh, Leinster under more pressure than anybody else um, has managed to in, in the uh, – in the, in the European Cup this season. I think I've read as well that La Rochelle's breakdown muscle, i.e. Lavani Bottia, Jonathan Dante, they're both back, aren't they? Yeah, they're back. Aldrit as well. You know, I mean, they're, they're but I mean, you counter that with Doris and uh, and Van der Fleer and Conan. They're all terrific uh, back row forwards and they completely outplayed whoever it was, um, you know, in the, in the semi, totally. I'm going to... Oh, I'm the deciding vote, aren't I? I'm going Leinster for home advantage. So, well, I can't remember what Chris said last week. I'm sure he did give us a prediction. I don't know. Maybe um, his column, he said that um, the other day, I do read his column, he said that he'd have nine of the Leinster team in the in the URC team of the season. Or was it the European team of the season? So yeah, I think I, you probably know where uh, Chris's allegiance lays there. I have a feeling he'd be going Leinster as well. Well, let's talk about the uh, Barnsley's match then. Um Toulon Glasgow. First mention is, is this the last time we'll see Sergio Parise on a rugby field? Uh, well, it'll be the last, could be the last final. I mean, it seems he isn't in the Italy long squad for the World Cup. I don't necessarily think that's curtains yet. He's got, a, you know, Toulon are desperately scrapping to get in the playoffs in the T14. And it might be that they've had a conversation. We, you know, we we don't want to see you until July, Sergio. But it might be that they've had another conversation, and it's not going to happen. I think this. I don't think Toulon are going to trouble the scorers in the T14. So I think this would be his last chance to win a medal, lift a cup. And 
back on New Year's Day in, in my New Year's Day column, I, I, I tipped Toulon to win this tournament. I, I think I could see early on they targeted it. Uh, Parisi has targeted it. He's got a great record in this tournament. I mean, he's been, God knows how many finals he's played, but he seems to have been playing Challenge Cup finals for nearly 20 years. So I think it's going to be a Toulon Sergio Parisi occasion. And that's not to diminish Glasgow, who've been a breath of fresh air and a, and a superb attacking unit when they really get it together. But when Toulon put their, their their first team out and when they're on the case, that's still a pretty good side. Yeah. They're, they're, they're inconsistent. And Glasgow, who used to have the same tag, have become more consistent. And um, they're essentially, you know, I mean, the thing about it is, is that one of them is, is, is a club side, albeit with, you know, a few Galacticos and, you know, in Paris, a very veteran one. Uh, but um, Glasgow are pretty well, you know, two thirds or half the Scotland side. So they're very cohesive. They're very, very together in terms of what they do. I, I think, um, again, I think it should be a, a humdinger. I think it should be a really good final. I think they're probably very well matched. I, I think that Glasgow might, uh, might, might, might edge it. And what an occasion that would be for Scottish rugby. You know, um, very little European and anything to shout about in Europe for twenty-five years. Uh, yeah. But that that would be terrific if they if they won that on the back of a, a promising, if underfulfilled, Six Nations season. So you yeah. know, again, you talk about Irish rugby started building a few years ago. This could be the start of something for Scotland. But yeah. despite that, Brendan, the way you were speaking just now, you suggested that. Too, yeah, it's too long for me. I, I just feel name yeah. on the cup with that one. Parisi uh, needs a send off story, and this is probably it. Yeah. So I'm going too long as well, which means, Nick, you're out on your own with both of your predictions. Could be <laughs> Not for the first time. It could be another glorious redemption story after last week's Northampton prediction. Hang <laughs> or... on. They can't sell right anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we'll wrap up there, guys. I look forward to seeing you both next week. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.